This is the Tribune Audio Network. Let my people go. The Ten Commandments brings the Exodus to life, the story of the liberation from slavery that Jewish people retell every Passover. It was a tradition in the Hirsch family that David would tell his sons, Elliot and Jack, about how he escaped the Nazis. He told the story in an interesting way, in an engaging way. I won't say funny, but certainly a, a light way. He would talk about being beaten and laugh. He would talk about one of the death marches that he was on. He would talk about this march as if he was going for a stroll. Beyond Passover, they didn't talk much about it. The phrase, you should never know, was a popular response Jack's dad used to use. He used it to wall himself off. He used it to wall his family off and his friends off from what he experienced, what he survived. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this episode, after a lifetime of being told he should never know, Jack retraces the steps his father took during the Holocaust. It all began with a mysterious photo. So I'm at work one morning, and my cousin, my age, lives in Israel. She calls me. She says, you're never going to believe this. Your father's on the internet. I Google him, and a photo comes up, a photo of a handsome man, a teenager. It turns out he's about 17 or 18 in the photo. And there's a caption underneath that says it's him, and it says that this concentration camp has this photo and knows about the fact that he escaped from a death march and was hidden by a family. Um, and I stare at this picture, and the first thing that crosses my mind is, I've never seen this photo in my life. The second thing that crosses my mind is, how in the world do they know his story? It comes from the Mutthausen concentration camp where his father had been held prisoner. But where does this photo originate? How does anyone outside the family know his story? Jack realizes the story may not be as it was told every Passover, and he begins a journey overseas to uncover the past. With the Russians advancing, the Nazis round up Jews in the Transylvania region, pack them into boxcars for the 600-mile journey west to a concentration camp in Austria. And the first thing they made them do, the SS guards made them do, was take a shower. When I went to Mutthausen, I found out there's no train station there. I realized, no, the first thing he did was not take a shower. The first thing he did was hike uphill three and a half miles in broiling hot June weather and then take a shower. And by the way, that hike was after four days in a cattle car, after a week with virtually no food. This was not a trivial walk around the corner. The realization that my father completely left it out of every time he, t every time he told the story made me realize that there were, there were things he wasn't telling me, and I needed to find out what they were. David Hirsch is young and strong. He's assigned to labor camps, but not before watching his mother and other relatives led away destined for death. The labor camps are a way of slowly killing prisoners by working them to death, while SS guards swim or play soccer in a nearby field. It was their form of relaxation. If they had a really rough day in the camp beating and killing people, um, and they just needed to sort of, you know, work a little sweat up, they can play soccer or they can go swim it off and then they can go and do it again the next day. It staggered me. For target practice, Nazi guards shoot at prisoners walking to the latrine at night. But this isn't where David Hirsch dies, it's where he learns to survive. He speaks 10 languages and uses his wits and personality to gain better assignments. 
How much of it had to do with he didn't look Jewish, as you write in the book? When the concentration camp guides and historians threw that at me, it surprised me at first. But there's no question that you know, we all as humans react to what we see. It says that he's Jewish, it's right there on, on, on his breast pocket of his uniform, but when all of a sudden he's behaving differently than they're expecting and he looks different, I think that helped him a lot. It helps him avoid the gas chamber. With so many in the concentration camp, the small gas chambers are not an efficient means of execution. The death march to the labor camp allows the Nazis to weed out the weak. You can't put him in gas chambers. The math, as horrific as it is, just tells you that you can't do it. But you can put them on the road. And if they are emaciated and haven't had a meal in a year or more for those who've been in concentration camps longer, to be put on a 30 or 40 mile march, the idea that they'll even make it has to be low odds. David weighs 80 pounds. After six miles on the march, the prisoners come to an intersection where refugees are crossing. So suddenly my father realizes he's caught up with refugees in this intersection. And if he just goes another few yards, he's out of the intersection and back with his march. Or if he turns to the right, 90 degrees, he can pretend he's a refugee and go with him. And forget that he's wearing a concentration camp uniform. Forget that he weighs 80 pounds. He turns to the right. He goes two steps. There's a raincoat on the ground. He puts it on. It fits him well enough. No one noticed or no one cared, but no one said anything. He knocks on the door of a woman who feeds him cheese and noodles. He rests in the backyard. She tells him he needs to leave. And he just decided he wasn't going to go that fast. He, I'm good. I'll, I'll go in a few minutes. And she called the SS. No one can explain why the Nazis don't kill him, but he survives. A couple of weeks later, the second death march follows the same route. Second escape, he had no opportunity to get away. He follows this route, and before the sugar factory where my father escaped the second time were homes, upper middle class homes, and in those homes were senior Nazi officers who worked in all the camps in the neighborhood. He went to the side of the road and sat down. An SS trooper put a pistol in the back of his neck, and the cold steel of the pistol shocked my father, and he jumped up. And in the act of jumping up, the SS trooper decided not to shoot my dad. Instead, he walks away, mumbling to himself, holstering his pistol. My father looks behind them, sees two more SS troopers, but they're walking backwards, they're not looking at him. And right where my father was, there were no marchers. And to the other side of my father, there was a path. My father thinks for a millisecond, I'm standing, there's a path, no one's looking, and he bolts down the path. He goes 10 steps, throws himself into the bushes. No one saw him do it. He hides in the woods until he's discovered by Barbara and Ignaz Friedman, they take him in, but they have a secret. They were keeping SS troops in their upstairs while my father was eventually being hidden in their downstairs. Your dad didn't know the SS troops were in the house. My father had no idea. It, to the day he died, he had no idea that there were SS troops there. Three weeks after the Freedmen's risk their lives to take David in, the Allies defeat the Nazis. David recovers for months in a hospital from tuberculosis, pneumonia, and typhus. After 50 years of telling his family, you should never know, Jack's father returns to Mutthausen. Jack had no idea. Why did his father go? Why didn't he tell his family? What was he hiding? One of the things my father feared most was me seeing him as just an ordinary human. I think for my father to go back, he knew how emotionally 
difficult it would be, and I just don't think he wanted me to experience it with him. Instead, Jack experiences it alone a decade later in 2016. Tracing the dark path of his father's journey, he visits the camp, he finds the intersection where his dad escapes during the first march, and the path where he escapes during the second march, and he finds the Freedman's home. Standing in front of this house, where I knew that my father had hidden for essentially a total of three weeks. It was a little bit like standing in front of the hospital where you were born. I mean, this is where I came from. Without this, I'm not here. I found it overwhelming. But what about the mysterious photo of him? After the war, a historian obtained it from the Freedmans and gave it to the camp website. It seems a young David Hirsch did some modeling. Jack Hirsch writes about the journey in his book, Death March Escape. In the late afternoon of April 16, 1945, my father stumbled to the side of the road and sat down expecting to die right here. A Hungarian-born Nazi stormtrooper pulled his pistol out of his holster and prepared to shoot my father in the back of his neck right here. And because the Nazi didn't pull the trigger, I am now standing right here. A quick decision in a moment in time changes the course of the Hirsch family history. Two sons, seven grandchildren, six great-grandchildren, all here because of David Hirsch's courage and will to survive, and some luck, and the kindness and bravery of one couple in Austria. David's favorite phrase, you should never know, now brings new meaning. He escaped from the Nazis twice, and as I would tell people, if you escaped from the Nazis twice, you'd be telling people. I think my father wanted that out there, but he didn't want it out there in its full, gory, horrific truth. He woke up every day thanking God for his chance to be here for another day. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of the story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at wgntv.com backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.